It's extremely big changes. The, the fundament is still the same that you buy and sell shares and have companies listed. And that was the same 25 years ago as it, as it is today. But how you do it and the speed and the regulation has changed ex- uh, enormously. Eivind Amundsen is the president and chief executive officer of Oslo Börs. In this episode, we learn how Eivind ended up leading the stock exchange the special Christmas period when Euronext wanted to buy Oslobush, and how Avin wants to develop the exchange and the Norwegian capital market going forward. This episode is brought to you by Nordshipping. Nordshipping is at the center of the oceans. This is where the maritime and ocean industries meet every two years from across the world to connect, collaborate and do deals to unlock new business opportunities. This is your arena for ocean solutions. See you at Nordshipping in Oslo, 6th to 9th of June 2023. All opinions expressed by Christopher Vorname or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Vorname. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christopher Vorname as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is produced by William Fransen. Okay, so one place that I would love to start is that you started your career at the Royal Norwegian Navy. And so how did you end up there? And did you really envision a career at sea at first when you started out? Uh, no, actually not. Uh, my plan was when all went away from I went to, to high school that I wanted to have education in the, in the Navy. So my plan was always actually to, to go to the Naval Academy and uh, stay there for a few years and uh, get some experience and then uh, leave there and get some more uh, studies from the more civil life. So in the, the Naval Academy has a very high reputation in educating uh, managers and leaders. So that's actually what I wanted to, for a basis to actually start that career. And also since that's a paid school and you also get money when you work in the, in the Navy, that also to save up money for the later studies. Okay, but, but looking back at, back at that experience, what do you think are some of the biggest lessons you learned from that period? Well, I think the biggest lessons was actually two things. Uh, first of all, you had to learn a lot of structure. You had a, it was a hard study. It's a tough school and you need to deliver every day. And also management. You have both a lot of theoretic uh, management lessons, but you also, every day you also train in actually become a manager. And when you're done the, the school and I actually went into the more operational uh, department, as for me, it was on a Navy vessel. Then already in a very young age, you get the much responsibility and a lot of management uh, training already from the age of yeah, 22, 23. Definitely. But, but after that, you, you ended up pursuing law. Was that also a, a clear plan or was that could it have been something else in a different life? It could have been actually one or two. I was uh, considering either uh, go to, to law school at university or studying economics. So uh, why I ended up at then law and not economics in the beginning, that was more coincidence more more to say so but after that i also had some the financial education after after that as well okay so how was your first encounter with with oslo burst or oslo stock exchange what led you into that well the reason actually was uh, when i went uh, went to law school i actually specialized within uh, maritime law since i had the background from uh, from the navy 
So, but when I was a very young associate in uh, Wikmarein, law firm, one of the largest law firm in Oslo, uh, at that time it was one of the local broker firms called Nuka Securities that went bankrupt. And uh, another associate and myself was actually put on that case and we worked for that for several years. And then actually more automatically have changed from actually shipping law until securities law. And then the past actually was uh, yeah, taken from me. I, I love that area and have the, yeah, worked in stock exchange and securities ever since in different forms. I heard you give a presentation where you said that some of the first thing, things you learned at the stock exchange was that trading is easy, but settlement is the hard thing. Can you expand on that and what you really mean by that? Well, yes, I can do that uh, because trading, it's uh, quite generic and it's uh, actually to, it's, uh, only to, to find a, a buyer and seller within the trading system. And then uh, you find that the price match and uh, everything is done because in respect to trading. But then you come to all the clearing part and settlement part and you have, uh, it have to be settled through the Norwegian Central Bank and it's actually to be met the seller and buyer and have to meet all the obligations. That's more technical and more um, uh, structured part of it. So it's uh, more complicated actually to, to do the settlement than to do the trading. And the trading can take place in what milliseconds, maybe two microseconds, but the settlements that the two days procedure to actually actually get the shares and also get the the money for the shares and also do the 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 the, the security in in between with the clearing sites that you are secure that will have your your shares on. If you just look at stock exchange in general, it's a very simple question, but I guess many people are not so sure. So what is the business model of a, of a stock exchange? Where does it earn its money? And, and is, it dif- is it different from exchange to exchange or are all pretty much the same? Well, the basis are pretty much the same, but then uh, every stock exchange have a little bit uh, different uh, business models. At least many of them have, uh, have that. But the basics for most stock exchanges is that there are two business areas. It's um, the listing side, where you actually have the company's uh, listing, and I pay an admission fee and also pay an annual fee to, to have the stock listed on the stock exchange. And then you have what we call the secondary market, which is uh, the trading side. And that's actually the investors trading the shares that also have to pay a fee to the, to the stock exchange. In addition, you also have the market data with all the indices and things like that. You also pay for that also is a revenue stream for the, the stock exchanges. How has that changed the, the development over the years? Because you started, you know, you have a lot of experience now running or, or working and now running a stock exchange. Has something fundamental changed over the last 10, 20 years? Or is it more of the same development as it always has been? It's extremely big changes. The, the fundament is still the same that you buy and sell shares and have companies listed. And that was the same 25 years ago as it, as it is today. But how you do it and the speed and the regulation has changed ex- uh, enormously. Uh, when I joined the stock exchange uh, about 23 years ago, we just uh, went from being a um, uh, governmental owned stock exchange to be privatized and had uh, private owners. We had up to earth. 830 owners at the, at the most. And then it changed a lot also on the regulation side that uh, from quite a little local regulation, we didn't even have listing rules when I went and started on the stock exchange to now a lot of EU directives and uh, regulation that uh, controls all the, the securities um, 
and stock exchanges in Europe. And that has been a very big uh, changes. And we have also gone from being more like a regulator back 23 years ago to now be a more commercial stock exchange that actually is there to actually be um, uh, digitalized uh, trading venues for, for the customers instead of being uh, so next to the right hand for the regulators in Norway for Norwegian FSA. So more much more of the regulation has gone from the stock exchange to the, the governmental side, to the public authorities. And we are more here, more here actually to, to take care of our customers and give them the best products and the best prices that they can offer for, uh, for our customers at the stock exchange. Interesting. So how can we describe Norway as a capital market today? Because obviously we have some very, very strong sectors that we rank number one in, in the world, probably. So how would you describe sort of the uniqueness of the Norwegian capital market and our strong suits? The Norwegian capital market is not that big because we're a small country, but still we're very international. And uh, so if you look at the ownership of the market cap on the stock exchange of the listed companies around the... Uh, 40% uh, is owned by foreign international investors. And that's quite a lot to be such a local uh, small uh, stock exchange or small market as we are in Norway. And up to more than 70% of the daily trading is done from abroad from uh, international investors. So we are very international and got a very good footprint all over the world, not only in Europe, but uh, actually globally. And especially in, uh, as you said, what we call our traditional or, or our strong sectors. And that is mainly the um, energy, uh, especially oil and gas business. That's, of course, is strong in Norway. But also the shipping side, the shipping business. We are the largest shipping stock exchange in the world. It used to be in the New York Stock Exchange. But when it comes to number of listed companies, we are now past New York Stock Exchange with a good uh, high number. So we are by far the biggest stock exchange in the world when it comes to shipping in respect of the number of listed companies. And also, we are also, also uh, yeah, without competition, the biggest stock exchange in the world when it comes to seafood uh, companies. Definitely. Is, is that something that is important to continue to grow on? Sort of like has it as have it as a branding for the Norwegian capital market? So would you like it to be more diversified? No, we are. It's definitely important. And we are more diversified now because now we are part of the Euronex group, which actually is the biggest stock exchange group in Europe. And it comes in a number of listed companies and the liquidity pool, as we call it, the number of trading in Europe. So there are no other stock exchanges that have more trading in our listed companies than we have in Euronext. So we have a, quite a broad uh, diversification into that group. So we are very specialized in these three sectors. But even though we are getting also now bigger and bigger within the tech sectors and uh, tech companies, uh, we've seen a lot in the ESG space, where the clean tech companies has been listed uh, quite a lot the last uh, couple of years, uh, two or three years. So we see we are more diversified. And when we look to, at this on the group level that we like to do, we see we have all the specters of uh, companies in Oslo and Euronext. Talking about, about Euronext, I, I guess you remember one day at work during Christmas better than, than the other ones when Euronext approached you. How would you describe that process and how was it to get approached on Christmas Day in Norway at work? Well, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. It was actually, we were in for the 22nd of December 2018. So uh, that uh, the uh, Christmas was on Monday, so a lot of us had uh, taken Christmas holiday already. 
and they very formed that uh, Euronext had uh, now uh, control over the majority of the shares shares in uh, Oslo Stock Exchange. So it will be a process going forward. And then when this was announced on uh, 24 December, because uh, Euronext listed and had to inform the market on the on that day because market is was open in Paris on 24 December. And then they, uh, we very quickly after had a phone call from the CEO of uh, the Nasdaq Nordics that also wanted to attend to try to, to, to fight for the stock exchange. So this was a quite a hectic and uh, different winter that we experienced in 2019. But so it was quite also quite fun to see that two large stock exchange groups actually were fighting over a little uh, also stock exchange and wanted to, to buy us and that to see the price went up and the offer went up. So we felt a little bit honored by the, to see this happening. And I think the result was very good that we, we've shown into the Euronext group that we also contribute uh, being an important part of this Nordic ambition that Euronext has. And also we also have great benefit of being part of one of the largest stock exchange groups in Europe. And it comes also the, the, the liquidity pool, the investors, and also actually have, as I said, more diversified and broader portfolio of companies to actually offer our market uh, participants. If, if you look at that acquisition process, what do you think are some of the, the biggest lessons you can take from it? Because obviously it's a very big decision and I guess it's a lot of work that goes into it. Is it to have a lot of focus on due diligence? Is it a lot of communication? How does that process go as well as it should? Because it's not a given that every acquisition turns out to be great in the end. No, I think as, as from the target company, as uh, we were, I think the most important lesson that we try to do also the best as we could, when there were two parties actually giving offers and actually fighting for, for us, it was actually treat them equally because you don't know the end result. And then it's important that you don't actually give one the opportunity more uh, advantages that compared to the other, that you treat both equally and you act professionally. And actually, this is actually an ownership question. So as an administration, you should not take too much part as well. You should. Uh, you should offer what I needed and also act on uh, the instruction from the from the board and the, the owners and actually just be positive and um, see the results because this is very normal uh, normal situation and the, what was interesting for us is that we are the takeover authority in Norway so we have seen hundreds and thousands of takeovers from the stock exchange and suddenly we were the target and actually experienced the same that our customers have and clients have done for, for many years. So that's also an interesting experience to, to have. Definitely. If, if we take a company's perspective and they are in the mindset where they want to get listed, what are sort of the, the different options they can take looking at the uh, Oslo Stock Exchange? What, if, what platforms do you have? Because there's obviously some different platforms you, you organize. Yes, we have four different platforms. We start in, uh, with the NOTC list, which is a self-regulated over-the-counter market. Very little regulation, very few requirements. And it's also outside the scope of the regulators and FSA. So this is something we run completely by ourselves in an orderly matter. And some companies start there when I don't expect too much liquidity, they don't want too much financial reporting, they don't want to inform the market too much because maybe only a few investors at that time. And then we have the the, uh, the next level up is the growth market, the Euronex growth that we have seen has been very popular last uh, two, three years. We started that uh, trading venue back in 2016. 
and it's a so-called uh, multilateral trading facility uh, mtf that is um, regulated by the mifid directive like so in year uh, from the european um, uh, regulators so this is something that a lot of european stock exchanges and also other uh, type of venues are running so this is uh, first of all uh, meant for growth companies maybe in the pre-commercial phase that are still growing and i want to, to really need um, to raise funds i want to do that in the public market so uh, that's uh, for smaller and new companies and then when they are getting more suitable for the main board uh, that can um, uh, apply, apply for an uplifting to the main board and some companies go directly to the main board which is um, what we call a full stock exchange or a regulated market in the terms of the, the regulation and where you have more strict requirements to be listed where you need a full prospectus you need a more shareholders a more uh, larger size of the company and you also need three years uh, financial history to be, be listed there so what do you think are the biggest or the most typical reasons why companies don't manage to get listed is there anything that is there a pattern here that they're way too immature or don't have the right um, not to come to the right stage or is there any patterns you have seen when companies don't manage to get listed well it can be several things actually but uh, it can be that uh, the market does not believe in the story because uh, the most of the companies that want to do a listing they need funds and want to do a fundraising and we, i think that most of the companies that not uh, reach the the point of a listing is because they're not able to raise the funds and then it's because the market will not invest in their uh, company either because of pricing or that don't believe in the story and some companies get feedback also from us that we that should change some of the uh, yeah hope the appearance maybe that's uh, we don't believe and the board is sufficient to be a board for us, uh, listed companies. It might be the management that we have questions about, or it could also be that we also have questions about the, the financials. Maybe we don't look at, I believe they have the, enough financials uh, muscles to actually to go forward at listed companies, and also maybe not have the organization to do all the requirements and take care of the market. So it can also be that, but normally then they will have that feedback quite early in the process. And we in most of the cases that we see that then they turn around quite quickly and put the place either a new board, new management, or a new uh, internal procedures to actually handle that. Well, I think mainly the companies that want to do a listing and not able to do it is because they're not able to actually sell their story and run, uh, raise the funds in the public market. You also run your own program called IPO Ready. Why do you run that program and why? what's the biggest lessons companies get from participating in that program? Well, I think that's something we started uh, last year and we actually it was quite a big success. So we'll do it uh, this year as well. And that's something that we have learned for many years, both in Oslo and the rest of Europe next, that we see that companies that apply for listing, that are not... Uh, set up i don't understand how it it's the differences to be to how to be a listed companies because it's quite easy in my opinion to be a listed company but you have to know how to do it so we're actually setting up the ip readiness to actually smoothen for the process both in respect of admission what you have to prepare what you have to do but not at least how it is to be a listed company after you have actually been admitted for trading how we're going to treat your market, how we're going to treat the, uh, the stock exchange, how we're going to act towards the regulators. 
in the respect of financial reporting, with ad hoc reporting, inside information, and everything you need to know. Because it's not like uh, brain surgeons, uh, surgery to, to actually handle this, but you know how to, to, to do it. So we have set up the course actually to prepare the companies, both for the listing process, and also to, to live as a listed company. And then, uh, so we believe through this course that we do to, both together with our colleagues in Euronext, but also together with the local advisors in Norway, that the company are much better prepared to actually to, to handle all the obligations you will have after you have been enlisted. Do you choose the companies or can anyone just sign up to get invited to the course or how does that run? No, everybody can apply, but we choose the companies. So we will look into it. And if we believe this is a company that maybe should wait one or two years or more before they uh, should uh, go for this course, because it should be a little bit uh, uh, near also to near in time, actually, when they are going this course and actually when I can apply and be ready to apply for, for, uh, for admission to, to trading. So uh, we do an. Um, screening but last year all of the applicants were uh, in our opinion um, uh, suitable for this course so we accepted all of the companies last year and it's i think it's more or less the same this uh, this year very cool so we already talked a bit about your next growth but obviously the last couple of years there were many new listings and market conditions etc has you know shown that many of these companies have you know getting their value drastically reduced what how do you communicate around that if some people say it's like maybe they don't have understood the risk well enough about you know the, these new companies which obviously are in a growth phase and don't really have so much revenue that maybe other more mature companies have how, how have you viewed that discussion that has been going on that's always a difficult uh, uh also the discussion uh, message to, to give to the market so we try our best and uh, always like when we are having interviews or in the media and just like when we are talking now to, to talk a little bit about it and try to give the message and it's always a risk to go into kind of financials and also into the securities market and uh, you have the old saying that it's risk reward the, the bigger reward the risk is also the same or higher. So if you want to actually do some uh, some safe investment, you go to don't go normally to a pre-commercial tech uh, growth company. Then you put your company in the, in the blue chips um, value company. And uh, so you have to know that it's it's no free ride. If you want to have a big reward, you also have to take a higher risk. And that's also something we try to, to communicate. And normally said, try to set up a portfolio that is diversified. So have maybe if you like and want to have take some risk and actually see the possibility for reward, you can put that on the top. But then you also must be prepared to lose that money. And also what I normally say, like try to put on a diversified portfolio as a pyramid, where you start maybe some risk, if you want, shares on the top. And then build a more solid platform on the bottom where you maybe have some blue chip companies and even under that maybe some index uh, funds and maybe some money in a, in a saving account in the bank if you're a washing machine break or something you need to, to have also some money in, in the bank so try to be careful and don't think that uh, take too much risk don't take a risk that you cannot afford and as i said that because uh, you, and you mentioned also that, that we have had a hit on the, the, the tech sector on the stock exchange. And that's not because of the growth. It's not because of the 
the admission processes or regulation in Norway. This is something that happened all over Europe because we have a very difficult situation in Europe. We have war, we have energy crisis, we have inflation. And that has hit the tech sectors all over Europe. So we, uh, your next growth tech sector has not dropped as much as many of our competitors around us. And um, but it, it can happen. And then you have to also be, be careful with the investment. And what we see is that some sectors are still strong, for example, in, in Norway for the oil and gas and the shipping, some sector in shipping is very strong due to the situation we are also in, in Europe. So, but it's uh, so. But I think the main message from our side is that to the investors, be careful and don't take more risk than you can afford. But our uh, job at the stock exchange and our requirement, what we have to do in respect of our license and the regulation, is that make sure that the risk is communicated from the companies. That is the main and uh, required and uh, requirement for the stock exchange. So we are following up the closely the companies to to make sure they both in financial uh, information that is handled by the FSA, but also everything continuous obligation for our companies are communicated to the market. So the investors can have the, the, the grounds and all the information needed to do their uh, uh, investment decisions. But uh, in the end, it's of course up to each investors, how they invest and how they decide. But we try to communicate it uh, as best as, as possible also that don't take more of the risk than you can afford because the market goes up and down. And that's how it's always been. And it will be that uh, going forward. Over time, it will always increase uh, in, uh, in connection with the BNP and everything that uh, you see that for several years that the financial market will over time increase, but it will go up and down in, in waves and, and uh, cycling, being cyclic. But if I understand you correct, and that you that you also push the companies to try to communicate this more and more, or do you feel like they're already doing a good enough job that it's about you know the investors really understanding the risk, or do you feel like you can always improve on on the communication side? Well, I, I think some companies are extremely good at this and have a lot of experience. Maybe have been listed for many years, so I think they do it uh, in the perfect day. But uh, other companies that need more training, and then we try to both educate them, talk to them, and if we believe also they're not doing their job properly, we also have the possibility to, to give them fees. And that happened also from, from time to time when we believe they haven't given sufficient information to, to the market to, for the investor to make that decision. So we are both trying what to say, carrot and uh, the whip, that we both try to actually encourage companies to actually do a better job. And most of them do do their best. They are actually really eager to do it because I know it's it has a financial value for them as well to give information to, to the market. And if they're not able to do that, we try to follow up with education and uh, courses. And that's why also the IPO readiness so they actually have the basis for uh, to give the information to the market already from first day when they are listed. But we also have courses also for companies after I've been listed and follow up and I can ask for meeting with us. We easy problems. We uh, I invite them for meeting with the stock exchange, so actually to make sure they do this better going going forward. How have you viewed it, this uh, recent discussion about sometimes you know the retail investors are overlooked when companies are in trouble and need to raise more money again? Is that also something you have strong opinions on? That is very important to try to treat every investor as fairly as possible all the time. Yeah. We Yes, we believe so. And that's why we put it in our own rules that actually it's a requirement for actually equal treatment. So this is normally, if you look at the, the legal side, there's an uh, issue between the shareholders and the, and the company. 
but we have actually since we already do the supervision of the, the disclosure requirement and also we are the takeover authority and have quite close contact with the, the companies we also have said that we will also do an assessment of equal treatment of, of shareholders and if we see some material breaches then we will actually react but normally we will say that this is a issue between the board uh, slash shareholders and the, and the company switching gears a bit talking about about leadership and so on but first first question was when you got the chance to join as a ceo of uh, also stock exchange how easy was it for you to say yes very easy <laughs> no that was very easy i really wanted that position so that was uh, definitely easy to, to, to say yes so but what i didn't expect or didn't see uh, coming i knew that we were starting with a big um, integration project because we just become part of your next so we knew i knew it would be a really hectic year i'm looking forward to that because a uh, big project is something we like to work with and i think we're quite good at it both at, uh, in Oslov and also in Euronex, very professional in doing this uh, big integration project but what we didn't foresee either from also side or the uh, international side in, in the group was that we just after i have taken over or started the project that was that we had to send everybody home because of the COVID situation and uh, when also we had COVID and a big project on top, uh, something, another thing that we didn't expect in that situation was that we, go, we were going to have the most active listing uh, period ever on the also stock exchange. So it was like a kinder egg with three things at the same time. We had a big migration project, we had the COVID, and then we had an extremely high number of listing applications to, to handle at the same time. So it was a quite a hectic uh, two first years when I joined as a CEO at Suppers. But how was it to, to to run those projects remotely then? How difficult is that when you have different time zones, maybe different culture, etc.? Well, I think that was uh, doing very well. It's of course something that you have to, to, to learn from both sides, actually that there are different cultures, things uh, mean different things when you say a thing. Uh, things like that but that was quite interesting to learn about different culture and it's not only a French culture and Norwegian culture because we are not like we're saying we're not a French group we're not the I'm necessarily in the Dutch group even if the corp, uh, company is incorporated in Holland we are an international group from Italy Portugal Dublin uh, yeah Paris Amsterdam Brussels Oslo and Copenhagen and so on and, and that's really interesting to learn on how to actually to, to be a little bit diplomatic and learn about the culture and how to actually work as efficient uh, uh, as you can. And actually, I think that the more different cultures and more geographical areas we cover, it's it become more and more easy to actually handle this because people are now so uh, into that we are a multinational uh, group and has to work in, in the matrix model uh, efficient as possible. And that's also the, one of the beauties with, with this group. So when we attract uh, younger talents now to, to work with us, we see that one of the reasons I want to work with uh, in the Euronext and also Burst is the possibility to work with a lot of different culture, a lot of different uh, geographical areas and have colleagues and friends all over Europe. So that's actually been a very interesting part of it to, to learn about. Very interesting. If you look at um, which type of people you want to hire to work for you, are there any specific talents that you that you hope to be more attractive to and, and try to bring into to the Euronext system? 
No, I think we are, we are very concerned about being diversified. So here, everyone who has a talent and have the competence we need, I'm very much welcome to, to work with us. So uh, the, no limitations uh, there. But, but also, if you look at the product roadmap, I think you said that you want to roll out more ETFs right now. How would you, what are some of the most exciting projects you see not right now on the, on the roadmap ahead? Well, we actually, yes, ETFs is one part of it. And also the derivatives market that we work uh, a lot with these days in Norway, because traditionally the derivatives market in Norway has been quite small compared to our equity market and the bond market. And we have not been able to actually grow that market as a standalone small stock exchange in, in, in Oslo. So that is something we prioritize the, now to actually try with the, being part of Euronext, which is quite big, is very big in, in the derivatives market to actually see that we can use the synergies and benefits from being part of this group to also grow the derivatives market. And the ETP, ETP products is, of course, part of, part of this. So that's a prioritization. And also one thing we work with quite strongly these days is also actually to integrate the fully the, um, uh, the inter uh, Italian stock exchange group into the system. And by acquiring the Italian stock exchange group, Milan stock exchange group, we also have got our own clearinghouse that we are setting up now for derivatives in Norway and for the uh, equities uh, for the group. And also we have a moved our data center to, to, to outside Milan in Bergamo and things like that. So we have done a lot of things, but just for locally for Oslo now, I think one of the most important thing is the derivative market. And also that we're also working very hard and it's very important for everyone these days is the ESG uh, perspective. So I think we were one of the first stock exchange groups actually that took the ESG as a strategic point directly into our business strategy. And that's something we don't take for granted and we actually have to follow the rules and requirements ourselves or our the more uh, advice because as a listed company we have to, to deliver also ng but we also try now as best as we can because it's so important for the investors and then the listed companies that we have a good products and a good uh, system for uh, companies to deliver on both on reporting side and on the products on the ESG side so that's something we work quite hard with because i think that the uh, market venue that don't have good product specter and uh, procedures for ESG going forward will actually lose ground. Makes sense. Some personal questions to wrap up. What are your favorite activities to do to recharge your batteries? I know exercise is important to you. Well, yeah, I like to exercise. So I try to have time for that. I like to be uh, outside, to go to, to the mountains, be skiing, uh, yeah, go out running, cycling, uh, and of course be with, uh, with my family and just uh, just relax. And what do you typically read to stay up to date? Do you have any favorite sources you tend to go to? No, uh, when I read for uh, when I read as you say, stay up to date. If you mean for for uh, for my work, it's uh, very different. But we have a lot of e-regulation and requirements and everything that's happening in the, this uh, space that uh, I read. I also read um, some financial books and actually some on, uh, especially maybe in the corporate segment, especially for me because I'm interested in that part from the uh, from, yeah, from many years. But uh, so, but nothing special. But uh, it's a lot of reading, but uh, a lot coming from I say from Brussels with the, with the EU space that a lot of happening this this day. Either it's uh, on the, the market data side or on uh, all the kind of regulation that we have to be updated uh, and up to speed on.
I can imagine. But, but given you touched upon some financial books, do you have anyone in particular you, you can recommend to the audience that you find fascinating to read? Well, I, I'm not especially one favorite or not, but what we still think actually, if you want actually a, a book that is both like a, a novel, but also quite important, what we see is still important, is a book that is well, it's seven, eight, nine, nine years old. It, um, what to call the the flash boys uh, that actually are quite interesting because it's uh, discussed actually the importance of actually like uh, the latency questions that you have to have up to speed uh, trading system you have to be close to actually the, the traders and their actually front system and things like that and servers and how this work because as you said it has developed a lot the last 20 years uh, when you only when you were trading in the market when you could pick up the phone and you also had a yeah we go back to the beginning of the 90s you had maybe 300 trades a day now we're talking hundred thousands and more in the also market and it happens in microseconds or milliseconds and then it's uh, the latency question that the, the where you put your servers where there your customers their clients have their service and everything and that's quite interesting to see actually the, the, the fight for the, actually the, the speed actually how important that uh, that is for, for the market sounds very very interesting so just just the last question since we have many people listening that want to have an exciting career do you have any good career advice or have you ever received a great career advice in terms of how have you viewed your career and you also try to share to other ones who come and ask you well, I think what uh, the advice I give, and I also think it's, uh, I think it's a good advice, is, is, is to follow your heart. Because if you do something that you're interested in, then you will be more passionate, you will work harder, and then your career will come more automatically. So choose a career way and do something you like to do, and then uh, I think the, the yeah, success will come much easier than you do something that it's more expected of you and you think it's the right way to do but you don't like it that will never reach uh, the top i think perfect ending Evan. thank you so much for taking the time it was a pleasure hosting you oh thank you thank you for your time it was nice to be here if you like this episode and the content we produce you need to check out our newsletter called the fransen and Wohnheim letter you can find more information in the show notes. And also, if you want to see this episode, head over to my YouTube channel. Just type in Christopher Vonheim. See you next time.